With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Here now is Dr. History. Good morning, Zev. How are you doing this morning? Wax on, wax off. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doctor-history.com is available all over the world, all over the universe, Japan, Taiwan, Germany. They're all calling and wanting to check on Doctor-history.com. And actually, China and England. Yeah, as long as we don't have to loan them money. That's right. Okay. So we got we do have listeners all over the world now. So. Well, I hope we don't uh, sever uh, diplomatic relations this morning. <laughs> I, I don't think we're safe today. I've got a good story. Okay. Tell us, please, what we're going to hear. All right. There's a guy by the name of Soapy Smith. Oh, yeah, good old Soapy. He was sponsored by Soapy. Ivory. He's a good, well, he's not a good guy, and that's the story we're going to talk about today. Okay. So, 1896, mm-hmm. gold was found in the Klondike region of Canada's Yukon Territory, and 1897, the first boatload of prospectors uh, headed in there, and more ships brought thousands of hopeful miners into the new town of Skagway, and they prepared for the 500-mile journey to the gold fields into Canada. Now, the population of the general area just increased enormously. It actually reached about 30,000 people, uh, largely, mostly American prospectors. Now, some at this point realized how difficult the trek ahead would be on the route to the gold fields. And some of them just chose to stay behind and supply goods and services to the miners. And so within weeks, stores and saloons and offices lined the muddy streets of Skagway and uh, approximately 1,000 prospective miners passed through town each week. And by 1898, Skagway was actually the largest city in Alaska. How did it get its and, name, by the way? And, I mean, there were fights, and, of course, as usual, liquor was present in all the saloons. And, but the most colorful resident of this period was a bad man named Jefferson Randolph Soapy Smith. Uh-huh. Now, he was a sophisticated swindler, uh, he had gracious manners, and he gave money to widows, and he stopped lynchings. But at the same time, this good old guy was operating a ring of thieves who swindled prospectors with cards, dice, and the shell game. And uh, one thing I thought was kind of ingenious, he actually had a telegraph office, and he charged $5 to send a message anywhere in the world. And prospectors sent news to their folks back home without realizing that... Uh, the wire going out of the telegraph office just went into the trees a few hundred yards, and that was uh, the end of the telegraph. But they thought they were actually, you know, they'd watch the guy clicking out the, 
the notes to home, and they were excited, thinking that their folks back home were actually hearing from them. How could you possibly criticize somebody that's an entrepreneur? Now, that's a great idea. It took a lot of time and effort to string those wires at least 100 feet down the road in the trees. Why in the world are you criticizing him? Uh, nobody thought to follow the wires. Think, <laughs> Did this wire really go through the United States? <laughs> Anyway, so I want you to picture something. It's the 4th of July in Skagway, 1898. Soapy Smith is perched high on top of a white stallion. Uh-huh. And he was the parade's grand marshal. Uh-huh. But a lot of people in the crowd wondered what trick had landed him this honor, because only three days earlier, someone else had been slated for that role. Mm-hmm. And so true to his name, old Soapy was slick, and that wasn't the first time he'd proven it. Uh, but, you know, most of the Skagway people wanted nothing more than to get rid of this guy. Now, his real name, like I said, was jo- Jefferson Randolph Smith, Jr. And he had learned to talk people out of their money in Colorado, where one of his scams was to sell soap for the high price of $5 a bar. And the way he did this was, as people watched, he appeared to be tucking $100 bills, $50 bills, and $20 bills under the wrappers of some of the bars. Now, the naive audience failed to see him slide most of those bills up his sleeve. And they were also unaware that the first customer who discovered a $50 bill tucked inside of soap was really one of uh, old Soapy's gang. So when people saw that, why, they rushed to buy the bars of soap, and, uh, of course, obviously their bars had no money in it. And, but this is the scam that earned Smith the, nick- the nickname of Soapy. So that's where the Soapy comes in. Okay. Besides being slick. Uh-huh. Now, even though Soapy put a lot of time into his cons, his earnings weren't all that good, and he was eager to make some real money. So uh, a determined man, if not an honest one, he intended to be the first thief in an Alaska gold rushdown. So in 1896, uh, Soapy relocated to Skagway. And this was a port town where people began their long trek to the Klondike Goldfield, and Soapy was sure he could own this new town, and he was right. Uh... Now, the Klondike Gold Rush of 1897-98 was a mad stampede. 100,000 people tried to get to the gold field, and they, they hadn't expected this trip to be so hard. Uh, and really about half of them made it to the Canadian Klondike, and one of the reasons uh, the trail was so difficult was that each, each stampeder had to have 2,000 pounds of supplies before they could enter into Canada. And the Canadian Mounties stood guard at the border, making sure each person had the required 2,000 pounds. Now, the trail north from Skagway was called the White Pass Trail, and it took a man with a pack horse 10 trips to move all of his belongings up the 41-mile trail to the first lake. Mm. Uh, That was nine trips back to Skagway and nine opportunities for Soapy's gang to lighten the man's pockets of his cash. Oh, boy. Now, there was also another way if you wanted to walk, and that was the Golden Staircase, and uh, that was basically carrying 2,000 pounds on your back uh, to the Canadian border, and we'll talk about that another time. That was that was a really rough on these people. But anyway, newcomers in that area were called Chichacos, and I I'm not sure where that came from. If it's a uh, Alaskan Indian name or whatever, but did you say? Did you say? Uh, can you hear me? Can you hear me, or are you having a hard time hearing me? I can hear you just fine. Oh, okay. I just wondered, did you say cheap tacos, or what did you say? Repeat that again. (laughs) I didn't say cheap tacos. No. (laughs) I said 
Chi Chacos. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Chi Chacos. Okay. Anyway, they were thought to be too trusting for their own good, and they were easy marks for Soapy's gang. Um, Jeff Smith was actually the name that he was known as up there, uh, but most people just called him Soapy. Uh, but he appeared to be a perfect gentleman. He had a southern drawl. He had good manners. He had a nice black beard that was neatly trimmed. He wore a dark suit, white shirt and tie, uh, topped off with a wide-brimmed hat that made him look just you know, like a grandpa, like a good old harmless guy. I mean, he was nearing 50 years old, you know, old enough to be the a father figure for a lot of these newcomers. And most of his men wore proper suits and bowler hats, and but they had names like Sheeny Kid and Fisco Red, among other names. But anyway, the Smith gang had a small building, like I said, with a sign reading Telegraph Office, and there was always a line of the Chichacos in front <laughs> writing short notes home. And again, you know, the customer paid the clerk for each letter he'd printed, and the clerk then clicked the message letter by letter on the telegraph lever, and never realizing that it was fake and it didn't get more than 200 yards down the road. <laughs> but anyway, Stopey was quickly gaining confidence in his scams, and he decided to up the ante a bit. Now, he had a hunch that if you were patriotic, other Americans would think that you're honest. And at his saloon, Soapy, uh, he displayed a flag near the bar, and in the parlor's back room, there was even a live bald eagle. Mm-hmm. Now, intrigued by the bird, many a man foolishly went to the back room to see the bird. Now, there they were greeted not only by the bird, but also by a handful of men who took whatever money the man had, and out the back door he went with nothing. I see. So this was out and out robbie, robbery, but so far the, the gang was getting away with it. Now, although most people traveled through Skagway, a growing number, number of people were staying in town to open honest stores, hotels, and restaurants. And some of the buildings were quite attractive with false fronts and large windows. Uh, business owners were trying to shape this wild boom town into a, a classy city. And Skagway was calling itself the San Francisco of the North. Mm-hmm. And the honest residents of Skagway were, they were getting a little tired of old Soapy's crooked ways. Uh, he was giving the town such a bad name that many Klondikers stayed away, and it was not easy to make a living in an empty town. So, uh, actually, there's a committee that formed of the honest people, and they put up a sign uh, posted uh, on the way into Skagway, and it said, Warning, all confidence, bunco, and sure thing men and all other objectionable characters are notified to leave Skagway and White Pass Road immediately and remain away. Failure to comply with this warning will be followed by prompt action. So that was the sign that uh, greeted some people when they came in, to, that if you had ulterior motives, just keep on going. Maybe we yeah. should put that same sign back in Washington, D.C. <laughs> It would be an empty city, wouldn't it? <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> <laughs> you would think. So anyway, a few days after this 4th of July thing where he was riding the White Stallion, uh, when he rode like a peacock through the streets of the city as the Grand Marshal, one of his gang invited a guy by the name of J.D. Stewart into the, uh, into the bar, into the saloon of Soapy's. Now, Stewart was a miner fresh from the gold field, and he carried the gold he had found in a leather bag uh, called a poke, and, you know, we've all heard of that term uh, is where they carried their money. Now, he was more than willing to talk to Soapy's uh, man who had said he was a major gold buyer. Well, Stuart walked into the saloon's back room to see the eagle, 
and there two of the thugs jumped him and stole his poke. Now, he claimed that it held about 15 pounds of gold worth about $2,670, which, you know, back then, that was a huge amount of money, at least 10 or 20 times what it would be today. But anyway, Stewart went straight to the U.S. Marshal trying to get justice, but the officer did nothing, and so Stewart figured that the Marshal was in Soapy's pocket, and this made him really mad. So he walked into every store, restaurant, and saloon in Skagway and told his story. Well, a crowd of angry citizens marched down to Soapy's saloon and found him inside the bar, and he promised the group that Stewart would have his poke back by 4 o'clock that afternoon. Well, Soapy stayed in the parlor and drank one shot of whiskey after another, and 4 o'clock passed and the poke did not appear. Well, a newspaper man uh, predicted he'd face big trouble, and Soapy raised his glass and he said, by goodness, trouble is what I'm looking for. Uh, the reporter returned to his office to work through the night, and uh, clearly uh, the newspaper was kind of siding with the honest folks of the town. Mm-hmm. Well, 8 o'clock that next evening, the group of citizens met on one of Skagway's piers, and they intended to solve the Soapy problem once and once and for all. So fearing that Soapy's gang would show, uh, show up, there was a guy by the name of Frank Reed who stood guard with a thirty-eight caliber revolver. Well, about this time, a very drunk Soapy Smith marched down Broadway Street to the wharf. He was waving a rifle. Well, this Reed guy, he blocked him, and the two men swore and shouted at each other. And Soapy hit Reed with the barrel of his Winchester, and Reed grabbed the gun barrel and pushed it down. Well, when Soapy pulled the trigger, a bullet tore through Reed's stomach. And anyway, Frank Reed fired two or three shots in return. And one bullet found the mark, went right through Soapy's heart, and he died immediately. Oh, my. Well, this Reed guy, he dropped down. He was obviously in pretty bad pain. And anyway, the townspeople picked up their bleeding hero and carried him to the doctor's office, and he lay in great pain for about 12 days before he finally died. Well, so Soapy's body remained. They just left him there on the dock, dock for about three days. Holy uh, cow. Shooting, uh, a lot of the members of Soapy's gang, they scattered... You know, but 27 of them, of them were quickly rounded up, and Stewart's poke of gold was found in the back room of uh, Soapy's parlor, and Stewart was thrilled to get it back, but he claimed $600 worth of gold dust was still missing. You Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me they left Soapy Smith's body on the pier? That's not real good for the Chamber of Commerce when a boat comes in with new people living there, is it? Well, you know, I don't know, maybe they put a sign up and said, you know, this is what happens to bad guys <laughs> in Skagway, Alaska. <laughs> okay. Maybe it was just a, a little warning, you know, of uh, if you've got bad mo- motives in your mind, uh, you better think twice, because uh, here lies the body of one dead bad guy. Holy uh, smokes. Anyway, the- so Smith and Reed, they're buried in the Skagway Cemetery. Uh, and there's just a simple, cheap wooden board that marks Soapy's grave. And, well, Reed's grave has a giant stone monument uh, that's fit for a hero. And on it, it says he gave his life for the honor of Skagway. Mm. And Skagway did clean up and became an honest town. And the local businessmen were satisfied with what they saw. Now, unfortunately for them, gold was soon found in Nome, Alaska. And so in 1899, thousands of people left the Klondike for Nome. And... The Klondike gold rush was over, so even so, Skagway, uh, you know, refused to die, and the town quickly returned uh, to tourism. Well, in the 1920s, a local entrepreneur turned uh, Soapy's uh, parlor into a museum. 
Well, when the museum was no longer making any money, a lock was put on the door, and the building was passed on from one person to another. And anyway, there's a Skyway resident that uh, uh, owns it now, and uh, it, actually, he'll open it up occasionally and let people walk in. And uh, when you get used to the dim light, you can see a mechanical mannequin of Soapy Smith in a black suit leaning on the dusty bar with a whiskey glass in his hand. And as you look at him, he seems lost in thought until his head turns and his red eyes light up. So Soapy is still sort of alive and well, even though he's dead. <laughs> in Skagway. You know, you have been, you've been to Skagway, haven't you? I have. In fact, I was just going to say, anybody that goes to Skagway, there's a very small museum uh, right there in Skagway. You can, and mo I think most people, when they go there, they go on cruise ships. But okay. within walking distance from the cruise ship, there's a small museum. And go inside there, and of course they have all kinds of relics and one thing or another. But they've got a, a uh, ex exhibit there that shows a man with 2,000 pounds of gear mm -hmm. and what that looks like. And you can see uh, what this man either had to hire a horse uh, to haul or had to carry by, by back. Well, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. When you say they had to carry 2,000 pounds of gear, I want to be more definitive here. How many trips did they have to make from the starting point to haul that? I mean, you don't put 2,000 pounds on your back and carry it into Skagway. How many times did they have to hide the gear or whatever and walk back and forth to get that all put in the proper place? Okay, if you could haul 100 pounds per uh, load, okay. that would be 20, right? Woo, yeah. And, and what happened was uh, they soon found out that you needed to have a partner because you might haul uh, 100 pound pack, uh, say a mile, mm -hmm. and then drop it off, go back and get another uh, 100 pounds. But what would happen is if you didn't have a partner, somebody else would sneak in there and steal your gear, well, or they'd steal the gear you left behind. Yeah, now this is another part of the story. I mean, as far as people storing the gear at a starting point, uh, it would seem to me that all the bad guys would just go up and down the starting point or wherever they uh, thought they stored the gear, and you'd have a field day living off of everybody that left equipment there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Sophie Smith's gang wasn't the only gang. You know, there were a lot of other guys that would just prey on the the miners and so like I say they soon learned that you've got to have you know let's say two or three or four guys in your in your uh, group to, to watch out for each other uh, because like I say you could haul get all your gear up there uh, a mile and then come back and back and forth and then go another mile and then another mile and then you had to go up the golden staircase which and I think I've mentioned that before mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the man that cut uh, stairs in this last, uh, this Chilkut Trail. Right. The last part of it getting up to the top. Right. And he charged people so much uh, for trip up this Chilkut Trail. Now... And if you stepped out of line, you might have to wait hours before you could get back in line to get up to the top. Then you had to come back down and get another load and back up the, the Golden Staircase and back down again. So there were some men that got to the point of discouragement uh, where they just sat down and, and put a bullet through their head. Oh, my. So. Now, let me ask you this. In Skagway, or for that matter, uh, Alaska, during that time, there evidently wasn't much as far as law enforcement. You never do mention too much about marshals up there. Right. 
and really the probably the only law was the Canadian Mounties oh. that were up on the border making sure you had your 2,000 pounds I see. Uh, of gear before you could enter into Canada. And, and then, you know, then the trip, uh, you still had a long ways to go. I think it's Bennett Lake was a, the lake that you got to up there, and you had to get across that lake and then down, uh, down the river to Dawson and those places. So it was, it was a long trip. In fact, one guy actually hauled enough gear up to this lake to build a uh, steamboat. Mm-hmm. He, but uh, like I said, the other way around was by horse, uh, pack horse. And we've talked about that before, too, the inhumane treatment of these horses. That right. They would just up and back, up and back, and uh, they call it dead horse trail uh-huh. as well. Because, uh, and they think some horses got to the point where they would just, uh, if it was a steep embankment, they'd just step off and basically commit suicide. Yeah. Let's quickly tell everybody about Dr. Dash history.com i've only got about 35 40 seconds left okay. so i want to really imp- you can go on there anytime day or night now listen to today's story again or we've got probably about a dozen stories on there now that we've told and every week we'll add a new story and this way you know people can listen anytime they want if they happen to miss the broadcast on tuesday mornings okay so invite people to tell your friends tell your family and um just as many people as you think might be interested in listening. Well, Dr. History, better known as Dr. Ken Turner, a very dear friend of this program, has been for many, many years. Put this idea together of dr-history.com and all of the shows. I mean, we're talking about mountain men. We're talking about gamblers. We're talking about Soapy Smith. We're talking about Annie Oakley. All of these can be heard, and uh, it's right available on that website, dr-history.com. Doc, you did a great job today. God bless. We'll see you next Tuesday. All right. You have a good day, Zeb. Thank you, sir. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.